Well, last week we talked about the gardens, and we talked about the space that we create for ourselves and, and for our families, and how this space has our stamp on it. We, we create this space to be a special place, to be a place where uh, the people who come there feel comfortable, feel welcomed, feel loved. It's a place where there's safety and there's security in it. There's beauty, there's life that's, that's happening, but there's, there's also this sense of belonging. You belong in this space because you've made it for you. This is something that we actually naturally do, but we don't even realize necessarily we're doing it or why we're doing it. But if we stop and think about it, it's literally ingrained in our DNA because it's what our Creator did for humanity. We find this in Genesis where God shares with us about the Garden of Eden and that He created this perfect relationship with his creation. And he made this space for them, where he was with them. But even then, God granted them freedom. But they weren't slaves within the garden. They were to work in the garden, but they weren't slaves But even within all of the freedom that they had, there were still boundaries set. In Genesis 2, uh, 15 through 17, we find that that Adam, sorry, not Jesus, Adam was free to eat from any tree in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that he wasn't supposed to eat that fruit from that tree. So God gave them boundaries because he cared about them, because he loved them. In Genesis 3, we see a major shift in the story. In Genesis 3, 1 through 5, this is what Scripture says. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did God say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? You see, Satan questions right here at the very beginning. He questions Eve's truth. You see, God spoke truth into Adam and Eve, and and he told them, do not eat from this tree. But he takes that truth, Satan takes that truth, and he twists it. And he says, did God really say that you're not supposed to eat from any tree? Well, he's kind of setting Eve up because Eve knows that's not what God said. But Satan is also implying that what God says is open 
to our subjective interpretation. You see, Satan still does this today. God gives us his word, and he tells us that his word is true. But Satan lets us think that we can interpret it. We, it's, it's subjective. What, what truth is truth is, that's, that's up to you. You determine what truth is. Do we? Do we really determine what truth is? So he goes on, verse, or we go on verse 2. It says, The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Do you see what just happened? Satan hands to her on a platter the the option to subjectively interpret what God said. And what does she do? She doesn't proclaim the truth. She changes it. Because God didn't say, you cannot touch it. God said, you should not eat it or you will certainly die. He didn't say don't touch it. He said don't eat it. So she added to. So she added to the truth. What do we do? We do that today, don't we? We like to add to the truth. We like to, well, does it really say that? No, no, I think it's it's been messed up. It's been it's been mistakenly interpreted over the years and blah 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 blah. No. Verse 4. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What do you do there? Satan tempts Eve with the very sin that caused his own fall from heaven. Look it up, Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. Satan was thrown out of heaven because he said, I will make myself higher than God. He wanted to be God. And so he says to Eve, you won't die. Because God knows that when you eat, you will be like him. You'll be God. In their freedom, Adam and Eve disobey God's boundaries to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And because of their sin... Their relationship with God is broken. The space created for beauty 
and love and relationship became a spiritual death for humanity. It literally became the beginning of the graveyard for humanity. We became under a curse. The garden was created for beauty. There's this in between the gardens because in we see in Revelation, we talked about last week, that God is trying to get us back to that garden. But in the middle, there are graves in the garden. In Matthew 26, verses 36 through 46, I'm just going to kind of go through some of the, the highlights for you. I don't have these on the screen. But Jesus has celebrated the Last Supper with the disciples in the upper room, and they've gone to a garden. It's not a coincidence. They went to a garden called Gethsemane. And Jesus tells his disciples, stay here and pray. I'm going to go a little farther and I'm going to pray myself. And it says that he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then it says he, he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. These were his most trusted friends. If your friend said that to you, what would you do? So he goes a little farther and he cries out to God and says, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. It says, then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Good friends, right? Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He tells them, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So he goes on a second time and he, he prays, My father, if it is possible for this cup to be taken from me, unless I drink it, may your will be done. Then he came back again and he found him sleeping. And he was like, this is a joke. And he goes back and, and prays again a little more. And then he goes back to the disciples a third time, and lo and behold, they're sleeping again. And he says, look, the time's come. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed and turned over to sinners. In the garden, Jesus was alone. He was alone. His most trusted disciples slept. In the midst of his agony, his sorrow, his, 
his fear. He had told them what was going to happen. And they slept. Thinking of of Jesus, I can only imagine the the frustration, the, the disappointment, temptation, weakness, fear, desperation, heartache, being overwhelmed with all of those emotions. But in the garden, there was betrayal. Just like in the Garden of Eden, there was betrayal in this garden. Because one of those who were closest to him, Judas, came and he betrayed him with an act of affection. He came up and kissed him on the cheek, letting the, the, the Pharisees know that this was the one that they were to arrest. When he's hung on the cross, it overlooked a garden. And when he was put in the tomb, it was in a garden. You see, there was death and there was burial in a garden. But among the graves... There's a gardener. John 15. These words will be on the screen for you. Verses 1 through 17. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is, what my fa- this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You 
are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. There are so many times I have, before I get to that, I have a garden, I used to have a garden. Um, Samantha took it over and now it's just weeds. And um, (laughs) she'll kill me later. Um, So I used to have this garden and as a pastor, I would go into this garden and I would take out the weeds. And I don't know why, but every time I went to weed my garden, I had this thought in my mind. Sometimes you just got to pull the weeds out of the church. Sometimes you just, and I'm like, I would be throwing, and I, you're thinking like, what are you talking about? Well, see, there are people in the church that are weeds, but they're dandelions. Because they look pretty. But here's the thing, a pretty weed is still a weed. What does a weed do? Weed gets in the way of growth. So why do we take weeds out? Because they're taking nutrients away from growth. Jesus is the gardener. It says that he cuts off branches that don't bear fruit. But don't stop there. Because a lot of us would be really comfortable saying, yeah, you know, I haven't been, like, cut off yet. You know, I'm still doing pretty good. But even if you're good in your faith and you're strong in your faith, it says that he still prunes you. He still cuts back you a little bit, just so that you can grow a little more. There are times in my life, in periods in my life, where God, I ask, please stop pruning. Because the growth hurts. Like, would you, would you just let me grow into this crazy, like, no, he, no, he wants us to grow into something beautiful that he meant to be beautiful. Because he's the gardener. He he puts attention into the garden because he wants what's in the garden to be beautiful. See, it's about the garden. I'm going to probably tell this part again next week. 
but God's like mulling this idea, this concept over in my mind. Jennifer and I watched this movie or TV show. Many of you have probably seen it. Um, uh, I don't want you to know how bad of a sinner I am, so I won't know. It's Bull. I don't know if you've ever watched the show Bull. Um, well, this particular episode, it was about a, a military man who was, he, or he admitted to murdering his best friend who was also in the military. Well, to make a long story short, it came out that, so the, the sorry, the guy who was on trial for killing his best friend had PTSD from war and well, his friend that he was on trial for killing also had PTSD, but no one knew it. And well, it came out that his friend had actually committed suicide and killed himself. And Bull, the main character in, in the show looks at the guy who's, you know, he's trying to represent and says, why, if you knew that he killed himself, why would you say that you did it? And his response was, because I want him to be recognized as the hero that he is, not by the thing that he struggled with. Pretty powerful. So later I'm laying in bed and I'm thinking about this. Don't think about it too much. I go to bed, I go to sleep, I wake up in the morning, I'm thinking about it again. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, you know, I know it's a TV show, but let's play this out as if it's, it's real. What would make that friend say, I, I killed him? And, and also throw away his life to go, you know, spend the rest of his life in prison knowing that his friend had killed, like, what drove him to that? And then all of a sudden it hit me because I started drawing this parallel. You see, he was willing to give his life because he understood the significance of his friend's sacrifice. I'm like, oh, wait a second. Why don't Christians who people like you and I, why don't we take Jesus seriously? Why don't we do the things that draw us closer to God? Why don't we do the things that God commands us to do? Because we don't understand the sacrifice. If you don't understand the sacrifice, you will never see a reason to give yourself for that sacrifice. We will never find our way to the garden if we don't seek the gardener. You see, God valued his son's life more than any person's life. But the depth of his love said, I'm willing to sacrifice his life so that you might live. 
You see, we can't understand the depth of God's love until we understand the depth of the sacrifice. You see, this military man was willing to change everything, was willing to give up everything for his friend. No greater love than this than those who lay down their life for another. Jesus gave his life for us. He gave his life for things that aren't all that beautiful, for the ugly that we bring into the world. You see, it's not us who make ourselves beautiful. But it's when we take the mess and we allow Jesus into it that beauty is seen. That life is seen, that life is discovered. What is this thing called the church? Why am I so passionate about this not being the priority for us as a church? Because you guys get it, for the most part. I'm just saying that because we're not all in the same we're not all in the same space. We're not all in the same place. And that's great. That's perfectly fine. That's called the church. But there are people out there who, who don't have a clue. So I've got, again, you guys are going to like have me committed. Uh, so again, like this week has just been a weird week for me. I've just been... And, and a lot of it's just been me mentally just like struggling with stuff and stressing out and, and I taught, I didn't teach, I babysat um, at RJ Basket for two days and in the second day, two minutes before the bell rang, no joke, two minutes before the bell rang, I have my back turned, I'm writing Coach Jones on the whiteboard and a kid comes in, no joke, sees me, says, oh man, that retarded sub, I don't want to deal with him. What? What's that? Like, you want to repeat that? He just looks down. I was like, yeah, I didn't think you had the balls to. I, I was like, yeah, I was. <laughs> I turned into a middle school kid for a second there. And, but see, here's the thing was, like, if he would have said it to my face, I would have gone out in the hall and had a discussion with him. Like, because, I mean, if he actually had the, you know, what to say it to my face, then let's have that discussion. Why do you think that? But he didn't have the, you know, what to speak to me and tell me to my face. So I said, go to the office. 
So I wasn't done with him, so I followed him. He goes up towards the office and makes a right. Well, the office is straight in front of him. So I go into the office, and I'm like, yeah, so, you know, Mr. So-and-so is going that way, but he was supposed to come this way, and this is why he's here. And he eventually, on his own accord, makes his way to the office, and, and the lady sitting in the front desk and said, did you do that? Yeah. And in that moment, something in me flipped. And I didn't process it until last night talking to Jennifer. And I'm like, I let my stuff miss something. Because when you see somebody and you talk to them sternly, and their shoulders and their demeanor just immediately drop, that means they're used to that behavior. Like, they're used to being talked to like that. And when I saw him kind of just drop down, he was already defeated. And so last night as I'm processing this, it's like he needed me to talk to him, not just get punished, like send him to get punished. Because, see, he's used to being punished, and this kid's used to being punished. And then I began to think, what if we actually, and I know no teachers don't have this kind of time. Like, I get that. But what if we talked through Why did you do this? Why do you feel this way? Why do you think this way? Why do you act this way? And try to get at what's actually happening and see that person in the midst of that valley, that that darkness in their life. You see, just as much as I want you guys to grow in your faith and I want you to know who Jesus is, I want that for that kid. And I've already said that when I have that kid again, he and I are going to have a discussion, a good discussion. And trying to figure out, what is it? And you see, what that was, was God going, snoop, 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 doing a little bit of pruning I don't like it in the moment. No one likes it in the moment. It hurts, right? Hey, I'm doing good. Let me mock you down a little more so that you can grow a little more. Because, I mean, like I said, I was a, you know, an average gardener. Um, I didn't teach Samantha very well. Um, but any gardener will tell you that if you want your plant to flourish, you, you got to trim it back. Because when you trim it back, it grows even more. But if you don't trim it, there are parts of it that begin to die. Well, even though it's dying, it's still sucking nutrients from the healthy part. So you got to take off the things that are dying so that the rest can grow. 
So think about that in your life, not, not about the person next to you, but in your life. What are those dead things in your life that you need to prune, that you need to get rid of so that you can grow, so that you can flourish, so that dead can fall off and life and beauty can come out. You see, the beauty of a life that is pruned is that sometimes your pruning is not for you, but for someone else. Because you see, the beauty of the garden is not just based on the beauty of one plant in the garden. The beauty of the garden is based on the garden as a whole. But the nutrients that I'm feeding off of are also the nutrients in the ground that everyone else is. So if the environment isn't healthy, the garden is not healthy. So your pruning is just as much for the people in your life, in your family. Don't settle for being a pretty weed. Don't settle. So many of us settle for the grave in the garden. Next week, we'll talk about how God changes those graves, makes them into gardens. Stand with me. If you would, just reach out your hands and and receive uh, this blessing. Jesus' life does not come simply in words. But life comes in the mistakes, in the failures, in the responses, in the attitude shifts, in the heart transformation, the life lived in community with one another. God, you're calling us out of our grave into something beautiful that we were meant to live in with you. God, I pray that you will help us to live into the times of your pruning, to seek growth, to seek life, to find beauty in the life that you've called us to. God, I pray that you will help us to see the places in our life that we need to prune so that growth and life can come out of it. 
God, I pray that you will help us understand the sacrifice so that we can grow closer to the gardener. Amen.